Welcome to Blackbird episode number 44. My name is James, and today I am happy to bring to you an interview with Josh Smith. Josh is, of course, the host of the Break the Cycle podcast. He is a member at large of the Libertarian National Committee. He's the father of about 10,000 kids, and he's kind of the ringleader of a bunch of shit posters on Twitter. So I wanted to talk to him about all of that and more. Before we get into it with Josh, let me tell you once again about Liberty Classroom. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom is your one-stop shop for the economics, history, and even fiction, logic, philosophy that they didn't teach you in school. If you're interested in learning both the basics and some more advanced topics in Austrian economics, deep dives into various areas of history like Western culture, the Civil War, the American Revolution, and even the history of science fiction and how it relates to libertarianism, check out Liberty Classroom. You can get there by going to blackbirdpodcast.com slash classroom. Of course, when you use my link, I get a little bit of a kickback on Tom's end of the sale. It doesn't cost you anything extra. I have been a member of Liberty Classroom for so many years that renewing every year stopped feeling worth it. So I finally sprung for the lifetime membership where I won't have to worry about renewing anymore. I recommend that you go with at least the Basic Plus membership because those monthly live sessions are where it's at. You get to have conversations via chat with some of the greatest scholars in libertarianism, including Austrian economists like Bob Murphy, historians like Brad Berzer and Brian McClanahan. And I'll tell you what, one time, one of my questions about Austrian business cycle theory inspired an entire episode of The Tom Woods Show. So you might go down in history as having seeded an entire podcast episode. But if the Basic Plus is not for you, there's also the Basic Membership, which is only $89 a year. Head to blackbirdpodcast.com slash classroom to sign up today. Thanks a lot. And here is my interview with Josh Smith. All right, Josh Smith, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, James. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, uh, before we get started, I just wanted to say, I wanted to give you a huge shout out. Uh, last year, when I was running for chairman of the Libertarian Party, I asked a lot of my, my supporters to give me these really great videos because I made this awesome montage video. And yours was one of the most impassioned and like emotional speeches that I received. And I, I, it's like still stands out in my head to this day, man. So I just really wanted to pre like tell you how much I appreciate it. It was really great. Dude, thanks a lot. I Yeah, I put a lot of thought into that too. Plus, it was the first time I'd ever been like talking to a camera without, you know, sure. someone on the <laughs> other side of the camera. So I was super nervous. So I'm glad it turned out all right. So you said that you ran for LNC chair. You've done that a couple of times. Why don't you give kind of a little bit more about um, about yourself for the audience? Sure, sure. Yeah, so... So I'm a staunch anti-war activist. That's uh, that's really what brought me to libertarianism. I've told this story a bunch of times on podcasts. Mm -hmm. It's not super boring, but I, I joined the military right after 9/11. Uh, uh, I was on the USS Constellation uh, in the middle in, in the middle of the Persian Gulf when George Bush declared war on Iraq. Um, I spent lots of months in the middle of the ocean there uh, at war with Iraq. We were running like 36-hour flight ops, dropping uh, 100 million tons of ordnance on Baghdad. And it really jaded me on the military industrial complex and, and our just egregious foreign policy. And I was 18, 19 years old. I didn't know. I had, had no idea what was going on prior to this, you know. Uh, so when I got back, I was uh, kind of just disgusted with the Republicans because they were, uh, you know, blood-soaked 
warmongers and and uh we were kind of going into that john mccain a era you know and and uh the democrats certainly weren't any better when it came to wars and uh so i just kind of felt politically homeless i was still a registered republican i had been like a kind of a neocon even maybe theocrat at one point uh, prior to this i started kind of falling away from religion there for a while um and uh then i found ron paul in 2007 uh, like many, many people my age uh, will give you the same story. Uh, this man was was speaking on TV and he it was almost like he was speaking directly to my soul. Uh, you know, I was like, I wanted to end the wars. I wanted to end crony capitalism. I wanted to bring back free markets. And, um, you know, I listened to that speech about, uh, you know, the CCP coming and setting up in Texas and how would you feel? And it was just like, wow, wow, this man is is right almost all the time. I mean, 99.9% of the time, this man is right. And so uh, I worked on on Ron Paul's campaign in 2008. And then uh, again, in 2012, I was I was stumping for Ron Paul. Uh, that's when I first really, I joined the Libertarian Party in 2010 after what they did to Ron Paul in 2008. Uh, but as a Libertarian, I wasn't going to vote for Gary Johnson um, in 2012, although he was a decent candidate in 2012. Uh, I wanted Ron Paul, you know, and so worked for Ron Paul again. And then uh, you know, when that kind of fell apart, I was just like, oh, I think I'm going to try this Libertarian Party thing. I don't know. Stayed a registered Libertarian Party voter uh, ever since 2010. And then in 2016, uh, when that rolled around, I was watching the shit show, as most of us were. And I was like, uh, man, I'm not voting for the reality guy. Uh, definitely not voting for the uh, the warmonger, Hil- Hillary Clinton, who, uh, you know, just saying that may get me killed. And uh <laughs> So I started kind of looking in again at the Libertarian Party and I was living in Southern Washington at the time and um, decided I would try to work for the party. So I went up to the Libertarian Party of Washington State Convention that year and I was the only one who showed up for my region, literally. And I had no idea what it meant to work for a political party. I'd worked on campaigns, but I had never worked for a political party. And I showed up, I, I was a Region 5 guy, and uh, that's Southern Washington, so right across the bridge from Portland, Oregon. Um, and uh, I, you know, they were doing elections, can, uh, elections for for party officers and stuff. And they're like, who's here from Region 5, you know? And I'm like, raise my hand and look around the room. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. And uh, they're like, great, you're the Region 5 representative. And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, anyone want to tell me what that means? Yeah. What, can I, what do I do, you know? That's one of my favorite jokes about the LP is like you show up for a meeting and end up with a job. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also once got elected treasurer of a county uh, party by going to the bathroom. So oh, suck, suck on that one, Nick Sarwark. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, even, <laughs> that's, that's even better than losing to Noda. Yeah, exactly. Suck on that one, Sarwark. So, uh so yeah, I um, I became the Region Five rep, and I went back down to my region. I had been going to the county meetings for Clark County, but there's five counties in Region Five, and we only had one county party. And so I was tasked with trying to build county affiliates, and uh, so I really started putting in the, the effort. I learned how to write constitutions. I learned how to write bylaws. I learned mm-hmm. how to write. Uh, you know, I worked on a policy manual and I started going to these counties and like trying to recruit people and, and trying to get, hey, do you know about the Libertarian Party? Would you like to start a Libertarian Party in your county? Uh, we ended up getting a, 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 a city council member elected in one of the counties even. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, in in uh, Pacific County, which is right on the coast, a really small little coastal town. And, uh, and 
So, you know, and then I worked on the Gary Johnson campaign there, obviously, as a, as a party member and, and party uh, uh, officer. And um, that was around the time when I first started kind of paying attention to Nick Sarwark, you know, and I was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool, man. You know, he's uh, he's brash. He gave he stood up and gave that, you know, your your uh, tears are delicious and your parties will die speech. And I was like, man, that's a cool speech. This guy's awesome. I love this guy, you know? Uh, and then the weasel started coming out, you know, and like we all saw him start attacking Tom Woods right away. And uh, he's going after Dave Smith and Eric July and Ron Paul. I mean, like anybody who attacks mm. Papa Paul is just a coward in my eyes. And so, um, so I was started calling around bigger name libertarians. We had started this publication called Think Liberty that was pretty successful. We probably had 12,000 daily uh, members and listeners and readers. And um, so I started calling some of the bigger name libertarians. I think I even called Larry Sharp and some others. It's like, yo, you got to run for chair. Someone got to run for chair against this guy. This isn't good. This isn't a good thing for the party, you know? And everyone's like, man, you're crazy. You are insane. That is the most popular chairman this party has had in 50 years, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's a trial lawyer, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I just kind of realized that everyone was too afraid to do it, man. And so uh, it, it, for the people who have gotten to know me over the last four years, everyone knows I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, as the, as the, the, uh, the very knowledgeable region five rep from Washington state, uh, and slash maintenance man that I was, I decided to write up a, a candidate statement, um, you know, an intent to run statement. And I was going to buy, you know, my plan was put it out from think Liberty. It'll be a challenge to the elites of the libertarian party. It'll never go anywhere. Nothing's probably ever going to happen, but at least I did the challenge, you know, at least I put it out and I said, you know, this is what's wrong with the party. This is how we're going to fix the party. I'm building a blueprint. I had no idea what I was talking about at the time. None, zero, you know? And, uh, so we put it out. And uh, it blew up, man. You know, this was right around the time the Mises Caucus was starting. Mm. Uh, you know, I got it. I got into a conversation with Michael Heiss. I'm like, yo, look, I'm a Mises libertarian. Uh, Rothbard is the one who who opened the window I couldn't close. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Mises and and uh, Lou and, and Tom and all these people. And uh, I would love to have your guys' support. And at the time, there was like 50 people in the in the uh, YouTube or in the in the Facebook group. I mean, it was literally it was just starting out, James. I know. I was one of them. Actually, yeah. I was I was on the phone with Jeff Douglas today. He's like the uh, political director or something like that for the Mises Caucus. He was telling me his side of this this story that you're telling right now. I didn't know you were going to tell this tonight. Yeah. But he and Michael Heiss were on a road trip. They were going from Philly to like Colorado or somewhere. Sure. And they were trying to recruit a chair candidate. And Heiss was like, no, we got to get Ron Paul to run for chair. And yeah. like, you know, Ron Paul's not going to run for chair. Fuck He's like, no. you're Tom Woods or somebody like that. And Jeff was like, I, I kind of I like this Josh Smith guy, man. He's fiery. Yeah. Well, and I'm, and I'm like, and I'm like spamming the group every yeah. day, every day. I'm like, I'm like, all right, guys, I'm a chair candidate. I love this, yeah. this caucus. I want to, you know, little did I know that for four years, uh, you know, post this incident, I would be carrying that caucus uh, target on my back for four for four years around the country as I traveled. So I didn't, I never thought it would do anything, but uh, I got in with the Mises Caucus. Right at that time, the Mises Caucus started kind of taking off. We started really doing some recruiting. We started working on this blockchain committee thing for uh, that we were going to propose to the party. Oh, so that yeah. we, yeah, and and um, it was a, it was it was cool. And then uh, we started raising money, man. And I wrote, I raised. Uh, 
I want to say like $15,000, dude. And I like traveled to 25 states. Um, I ended up keynoting the ballroom at the uh, Omaha Roads to Freedom Unconvention right behind Ron Paul, which was like, wow. You know, I'm just like, I had a 45-minute speech in a ballroom and I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing here. How did this happen? You know, and so I, you know, and I was like up all night the night before, like writing out my speech, like, oh my God, I'm right behind Ron Paul. What do I do? You know? (laughs) And, uh, and so it really turned into this, this movement, man, you know, and, and I, and to this day, we got people like the Fakertarians groups and stuff. And they're like, oh, you're a three-time chair loser. And I'm like, dude, I didn't have to win. That was never the end goal of me running for chair. Like I wanted yes, like there's a, these are wars in a battle or a battles in a war. Right. And I wanted to win those battles. Of course, it would have put us in a much upper, like a much higher, uh, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it would have given us the upper hand, right? Yeah. If I had, I won these battles, but I never had to win the battles to win this war. It was all about moving the, the Overton window in the party, getting back to those first principles, that thin libertarianism, yeah. uh, you know, bringing people to the party, uh, getting people excited like they were during the Ron Paul revolution, making this cohesive movement of people. And just running for chair, started accomplishing that in 2018. Mm-hmm. I, I lost handedly to Nick Sarwark, uh, but I ended up on the national board. And now I was a staunch voice for that section of the party on the national committee. And I and I promised everybody I would get to work um, and I would, I would stand for our principles uh, on every vote, on every movement, on every motion. That's what I was going to do. And I did. I stayed true to that. Um, and then, in, and then coming up on 2020, I saw a, a chance, you know, I was much more well-known, obviously I had a much bigger following. Uh, I traveled around the country and shook in a bunch of hands. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do it one more time. Uh, no one was stepping up to do it. Uh, I knew that Joe Bishop Henchman was probably going to run. And I had been served on the board with the guy for two years. And as nice as the guy is, I mean, Joe Bishop Henchman is as nice as pie, man. Like he is, I, okay. So our first LNC meeting after Joe Bishop Henchman won, he went around the room and asked us all to introduce ourselves and tell him our favorite snack, right? And he's, you know, over there, Joe Bishop Hinchman is always writing. If, you, if you've ever seen him, oh, even yeah. at conventions, he's sitting in the corner writing. I mean, he's just always writing. So we went around the room. We told him our names, where we're from, how long we've been on the board, you know, all this shit. And then we ended with what's our favorite snacks. Of course, for me, it's strawberry ice cream. If, if anybody knows me and, and you meet me in public, bring me strawberry ice cream. It's my favorite snack. I love it. Okay. so. At our last LNC meeting in Chicago, just a couple couple weeks ago, we all go out for a break and we come back in and everybody's favorite snack is sitting at their place on the table. Like <laughs> Joe was a nice guy. That's so nice. Joe and Ethan are, are they're wonderful people. Ethan, his husband, uh, crocheted a baby blanket and sent the most heartfelt, sweetest note I've ever seen in my life to, to our house when our baby was born. Like they're nice people. They're, they're godly, nice people. Um, but he was a snake when it came to running the party, mm. you know? And so I didn't want that. It wasn't the direction I wanted to see the party. I knew it wasn't the direction that the Mises caucus wanted to see the party go. Uh, I thought it was going to be a step backwards for the party. And so I decided to run again and we did much better, obviously that you were there, you know, you saw it all happen. And yep. um, that national convention is always going to have an asterisk next to it for me. Uh, I lost by about a hundred votes I'm not sure they got that extra hundred votes. I'm thinking that uh, that there was some some phony stuff at play, but I didn't want to be the Trump of the Libertarian Party and be like, "Stop, strip the steel," you know. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be like uh, 
okay, well, you know, whatever, that's cool. But yeah. uh, if you were there, if you were at the convention, uh, you know that we had the room. There was yeah, no doubt absolutely. about it. We had the room. We probably had 85% of that damn room. You know what I mean? We won California. We won Florida. We won a ton of states. I didn't think we'd win like Connecticut and Maryland. And, and uh, I think Minnesota was even really close too. It was, it was close. Yeah, it was close. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember what the, what the like totals were. Which was really surprising to me too. I didn't think that we would take Minnesota like that. And, um, and, yeah, we've, uh, got a good, we've got a pretty good bunch here. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting on our, on our board right now. There's a couple I'm of- I'm proud of Minnesota, <clears throat> man. Well, and I've always yeah. liked a lot of the people from Minnesota. You're, even your chair who can be a giant asshole sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, he hates national. That's the thing. Yeah, like, he, he really he's hates like, national. The only, the only job of national is to give us a presidential candidate but every I have years. hung out with him yeah. several times. I went to dinner with him in, in uh, Louisiana uh, before the national convention in New Orleans. Oh, sweet. Man, he was just a really awesome, cool guy yeah. uh, to me. Even even if he didn't support me for chair, uh, I didn't. I don't care. Like you know, I've never. I'm not one of those guys. that's like if you don't support me for chair, fuck you. You know, I was. I was like, I understand that you don't support me. Here's the reasons why I wish you would support me. As long as you're not a slandering, slimy asshole, like I, that yeah. doesn't bother me that you don't support me for chair. I get it. Everybody's got their own version of what they want for the party. But if you're a nice person and you're jovial and you're easy to get along with and you're not like, you know, telling lies about my family one after another, like I'm going to, I'm going to be cool with you. And like Matt Kowalski has been like one of the coolest people to yeah. me. The whole time I've been in this party, he's been just up absolute stellar wonderful person to me um and he works his ass off too you know so it doesn't matter if you support me or not what i care about is are you working towards the principles of this party are you working towards making a more free society and are you not a piece of shit you know and so um but yeah i just i still i look i will always look at the 2020 convention and wonder uh because all the motions prior to the chair election were about 650 votes and then uh the chair election was over 900 and uh, a lot of those came online. And when we asked for a, when we asked for a, uh, um, a quorum count, head count, uh, we didn't get the answers that we wanted, you know. And so, you know, and there's other things that led me to believe that too. The the Karen Ann Harlow's vote uh, right after that, uh, when she won really handedly, Nick immediately ran up to a microphone and started protesting because he thought, I'm sure he thought that they had stolen enough votes to, to, to beat her. Um, and, that, and, and if you watch, if, I mean, there's video of it, but I saw it live. Um, Nick runs up to the, to the, to the microphone, starts protesting. Yeah. Evan McMahon, who was running against her, runs right up to Nick. They start whispering to each other. Nick runs up or Evan runs up on stage, concedes, shakes Karen's hand and runs off and they never talk about it again. I mean, I'm, why would you do that? unless you thought you had this in the bag. You know what I mean? Um, and then all the votes after the officer elections went back to being about 650 votes per per uh, per motion. So it's like, yeah, I think there was some shady shit that went on. Well, we got, less, we got less than a year till 22. So uh, are you, yeah. you going to be running for at-large again? <sighs> yes. I announced I was run for at-large. Um, some things have come to light over the last couple of months couple of weeks even uh, during this New Hampshire thing. And it's really kind of um, laid a different framework for as far as probably what the caucus was going to do and what I was going to do. Um, so now uh, there's a chance that I may run for region six. Oh, um, well, a- you know, I hate to, tr- I hate to get too into like inside baseball LP stuff. Yeah. Cause like, I think most of my listeners are libertarians, but they're not mostly LP. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think the region six thing would be, yeah, would be either, welcome. Either that, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I'd be contending with uh, a couple of states that don't really support me, which is 
going to be hard. Um, or there may be an opening to run for uh, for the old vice chair there uh, with Angela McArdle. So, oh, cool. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think there's going to be a lot of talks going on over the next year. Uh, but for sure, guaranteed, I will at least reseek my at-large seat. Um, I think I was going to I was just going to hang it up, call it good. I did two terms. Uh, we built the movement where I want to see it. We got Prague's disbanding, uh, Prague's leaving the LNC. It's it's clear that we're winning. Um, yeah, but I, well, I I think that they need one more term of my leadership. <laughs> I read Andy Craig's like resignation from the party letter, and I actually felt a little bit sorry for him. Like the thing is, he he didn't discover libertarianism from like a true bro, true blue libertarian like Ron no, Paul. No. He cut his teeth on the Gary Johnson campaigns. And the thing is, Gary Johnson's a great dude and, and he has some really good instincts, but at the end of the day, he's a centrist Republican. He I knew mean, nothing about libertarianism. Yeah. Nothing. Absolutely yeah, nothing. Exactly. And I, he's a, he's I, an entrepreneur, which, which gives yeah, him some libertarian instincts. True. But you're, you know, working on his campaign as, as Andy Craig you know, if that's who you're learning libertarianism from, then you're not learning libertarianism, as, you know, as an ism. So you're going to be shocked and surprised by a lot of what you hear coming from libertarians. Sure. Well, and I had this conversation with Tom Woods on his show recently. Uh, he, you know, Gary was on some news channel and they're like, well, how'd you become a libertarian? You know, and Gary actually like made up a book. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> like there is no book that exists that he mentioned. It like doesn't exist. It was like the how I became a libertarian or something is what he said. And and it's like that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. He like it completely created that for the on the spot media. And so um, you know, that's it's an unfortunate it is unfortunate, but that's no excuse for people like Andy Craig who have had all this time yeah, to, to to study. They they write for the Cato Institute and you still haven't come to terms with the fact that what you're spewing is probably not mostly libertarian. And eh, that's on you at this point, you know? So. So um, another thing that was going on with you last year during your chair run was a, a lot of people were talking about your like fitness to be a father and some shady shit with one of your daughters and a lot of other stuff. And now you're sitting here with, what is it? Nine hundred kids? Seven, yeah, 700 like kids. A, okay. 700. Yeah. 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 I mean, what what happened between what what happened then? Like why were you being slandered so hard and how did you end up with all these kids? Ooh, doggy. Uh, I mean, so this he, seems like this seems like a redemption arc to me. Like this is yeah. this is your hero's journey. It is kind of I mean, it is kind of and people are still calling me the same old same old shit. Uh they don't care. They never cared about you know who they? Oh yeah, you were on that Fagertarians yeah. that stream the other night. They were calling you child support payer as yeah. if that's a, as if that's a dick. Oh like, no, what, I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, well, he, he's, he's a good father. Like what? I mean, yeah. what do you want him not to pay his child support? So here's the thing: I had two kids uh, going into my 2018 election. Um, one who had not lived with me for a long time. Uh, some really bad stuff had happened where uh, my daughter's mother. Um, disappeared with her for about five years. Mm. It was a, uh, it was very, very rough time in my life. You know, going from having a four-year-old daughter that you talk to all the time and and uh, fly back and forth and see, and then all of a sudden just disappearing. And then we had reconnected when she was about twelve. Really started reconnecting, talking a lot. We started talking a little bit before that, but um, and it was really intermittent. Um, and then I had another son who lived in Oregon. And uh, I had been in a really nasty 
custody battle uh, for my son. It just was very, very ugly. Um, his mother has a lot of problems. I'll leave it at that. Um, of course, there's always two sides to every story. So, you know, you you have to take what you believe and and not. Um, <clears throat> essentially, I got raked over the coals in the child support department. At one point, they were uh, requiring that I pay $1,269 a month. Uh, while I was in college, I was making uh, $942 every two weeks. Uh, they were taking half of that and then uh, leaving me with $942 a month to try and live off of while I was in college. Um, I lost a job over it. Uh, for a while, I wasn't able to pay. I got really behind on child support. Then she, uh, after a while, when he was about two, she just stopped letting me see him uh, in direct violation of the court-ordered parenting plan. Uh, and then, so I told her, well, I'm not going to pay child support anymore until you let me see him, you know, which, uh, you can't do by the way, <laughs> uh, about th- three or four months of that went by. And then the court was like, okay, look, this is the deal. You're going to get slapped with a contempt case if you don't start paying this. And so I started paying it again voluntarily. I think I had to pay it for like six months before they would, uh, drop that charge. Uh, and it's just been really, really ugly. And so when I started running for chair, I was obviously more self-sufficient. Everything was much better. I had a good job. I was paying all my child support, but I had been behind on child support. Um, and my son's mother does not like me. Um, we do, we do, she's, I have emails, um, screenshots of her saying she wants to pin me to the wall and ruin my entire life and all this stuff. Right. And so she uses our child as a weapon to do so. Uh, she meandered into some libertarian groups while I was running and started uh, messaging the, my, you know, the people who hated me already, uh, you know, Nick Starwark fans and stuff. And so she turned this whole group of people into believing that I was this deadbeat dad and that I had abandoned her and him and all this stuff. And it was like, couldn't be further from the truth. Like that was literally not the truth at all. And if any of those people had, uh, you know, ventured back on my Facebook page at the time, they would have seen all the pictures of me and my son. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so that was all going on. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I had, at the time I had been paying child support for a long time already and I was like catching up and I was really well behind. Um, and then in 2020, I had got caught up quite a bit. I had paid off like over half of what I had in arrears. Um, and, uh, you know, this thing with my daughter was like really intermittent. We would talk sometimes, sometimes we wouldn't talk for a month. It was just kind of hard um, on me and I'm sure hard on her. And, uh, you know, I found out that they were living in a really bad situation, you know, drugs going on, living in cars, hotels, stuff like that. And I really didn't have a lot of recourse uh, from our custody agreement. It was kind of like, if I was going to do anything, I was going to have to go to Arkansas and and start a case there and like try to fight in Arkansas. And so it was really hard. Uh, I had I had tried to do what I could um, over the years, but it was just, you know, at one point I had to hire a private detective because they had disappeared for several years. And so uh, when I was running for this 2020 campaign, um, those same detractors, and and I'm not afraid to name names, Angela Fisher Owens and Ethan Owens and Risa and, uh, you know, the Botkins, Liz and, and all these people. The only reason they were able to find out who my daughter was, was because when Risa and I dated briefly in Texas, uh, I took Risa to meet my daughter. So they reached out to her, found out she was in a rough position and started trying to, uh, use her to harm me. And that's what they did, you know? And, uh, it wasn't even six months later I had custody of her, <laughs> uh, you know. And so, um, so this is how this this is how the story ends. Okay, for me, this is how the story ends. 
Uh, they can continue to say whatever they want, believe whatever you want. I don't give a shit. Uh, in March, uh, my fiance who lives here in Iowa, where I live now, um, COVID hit, COVID was hitting. Uh, I was already, I had already been to like 12 state conventions. Uh, she came and met me in Illinois. I was the the keynote speaker at the, uh, Illinois state convention. Spent the weekend there with her, uh, flew home and all conventions got cut off after that. There was no more conventions. Uh, California was getting ready to go into a 24 hour lockdown. Uh, I had gotten sick. I was a little sick. I had a headache and stuffy nose and stuff. And I was working in skilled nursing facilities and, uh, they're like, you can't come to work. You know, this is in California at a time where they're only testing 500 people a week mm. or something like that. It was insane. It was such a low amount. And they were only testing you if you uh, were like dying basically. And, uh, and so I called them and I was like, look, they're not going to give me a test. I can't just miss work. Like I need to get paid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, they're sorry. We, you can't come back until you test positive or test negative. And so, uh, uh, one day, one day goes by and I come to the realization that there's nothing I'm going to be able to do. I'm not going to be able to get a test. Um, so I call my work and I'm like, look, well, I'm taking off for a couple of weeks. You guys are going to have to, uh, you know, find a new maintenance director or whatever. And so I call my girlfriend at the time and I'm like, look, I'm going to come back to Iowa and quarantine with you for two weeks. I got all these airplane tickets that I can't use, you know? <laughs> And so uh, I was living with my best friend, bachelor in, in a, in a three-bedroom home in California. And I flew out here and I was going to stay here two weeks. And uh, uh, we hit it off. And I was like, you know, I might just stay in Iowa. I kind of like it here. It's cheaper. Let me see if I can find a job. And I found a job within like three weeks of living here. Really good job, yeah. you know, very high paying. And, uh, and uh, then she got pregnant in April. And uh, that was all she wrote. You know, I was like, well, I got a baby on the way. I'm going to stay here. I'm in love with this woman. She already had two kids. Um, and obviously I had two kids that didn't live with me. And uh, so we got pregnant and then October rolls around. So July is when they use my daughter to hurt me. October is when I got custody. Okay. I mean, it was just a, a couple months later. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, you know, these people, these people are fucking idiots. Let's be honest. And, uh, and so uh, I get the call. I go down to Arkansas to pick up my daughter. Um, on the way down there, we find out she's pregnant. Um, she also had two younger siblings that, uh, we're going to go to the system. They're my ex-wife's. They're, they're my, uh, ex-wife's not mine. And, uh, so I worked with a lawyer down there and we were able to get, uh, what's called kinship guardianship, uh, of the two littles. And mm-hmm. so we took my daughter and, uh, the two littles and brought them back up to Iowa and bought a bigger house and all this stuff. And, uh, and then, we had my son on New Year's Eve and my granddaughter was born March 14th. So that puts seven in the house. <laughs> All in one year, buddy. So, yeah, I mean, that's rough. That's tough. That's, you know, it's got to be hard at times, but like, what a, what a, what a ext- blessing, man. Extremely challenging. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life and I've done a lot of shit. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's also a blessing, but there's some days that you want to rip your hair out, you know, but that's all parents. That's how it works. Coming from a, coming from a Catholic upbringing, but like, you know, kind of a normie Catholic upbringing. Like we only had three kids, but you know, my parents- Oh, that's a small Catholic family. I know. My parents (laughs) both had a ton of siblings and like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's cool to see. And especially right now, I, 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 uh, my story, I went from like a normie Catholic Republican family to anti-war left. So we're roughly the same age. Like I was born in December 82. I think you're right around March, March 83. So four months later. Yeah. Three months later. Yeah. 
So while you were in the army, I was like literally writing articles about why we shouldn't support the troops. Nice. Uh, and then, uh, and then Howard Dean happened, and I was an anti-war Democrat. And then somehow I, and I don't remember like what the steps were here, but I ended up like in radical traditionalist Catholicism. And so I've held on Holy to that. Holy shit! Like, I know, I know. And then, and then I, and then I came out as gay and like yeah. became like just completely active in, in that whole thing after I found libertarianism. So I guess Ron Paul probably damned my soul, but at least he made, made my life a little bit better. Sure. <laughs> but I still have that, that affection for like the sort of Catholic family values and that kind sure. of thing. And I think, you know, I, I think Catholic theology is beautiful. Like, uh, it, yeah, I grew up my, my uh, mom's side of the family, Spanish Catholic, Italian oh, Catholic. And, yeah. and uh, my dad's side of the family is Israeli Jews. So very strange. I'm nice. half, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, Catholic Jew, you know? Uh, but well, you know, and, you're, either, and you're also a Nazi. Let's yeah, not forget. You're, my, yeah. you're, my, you're my very favorite Nazi Jewish journalist now. Yeah, you, you always got to love it. Yeah, I'm a journalist now. That was great. I was like, you, I was like, look, you guys have said a lot of really vile shit, but that's the most vile calling me a journalist. How dare you? I'm going to have to link to that. It's like three and a half hours long, y'all. But uh, first of all, you get to skip the first hour yeah, before the first Nick hour Ashley. So who, Nick, Nick has been on the show. And actually, I, uh, I asked if he wanted to come on tonight. And then I think I dropped the I think I dropped the conversation, but that's all right. We're 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 good. We can we can we can handle this. You guys were on the Fakertarians the other night, and holy crap, it's really hard to watch. Like it's it's just it's just like seven people talking over each other most of the time. Screeching, yeah, like absolute well, screeching. Yeah, it's like so you've got Karen Ann, not Harlos. Yeah, his name's actually Christopher Alderson. Sorry, Christopher. to dead. Sorry to da- dead name you, buddy, but he runs the Leading Liberty. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the Leading Liberty <laughs> Facebook page, and that dude has attacked my family so much. Fuck him, man. And yeah. I like I I don't know if he slash they uses they them pronouns, and I'm, I'm I don't gonna, think he really does. I think that's a complete play because he's like married to a woman and like doesn't oh, really? look like that in real life at all. I think that's totally a play for him. <sighs> man, if it is, that's that's low. Like you I've know. got I've got non-binary friends. Like I understand what they go through, and like. And I and I I try to defend that that whole gender spectrum thing in our circles because we have a lot of social conservatives, sure, um, who just like they can't grasp the fa- the idea that there's non-binary gender identity. Like they can get bisexuality, but non not non-binary gender. Yeah, yet. the non-binary I mean, thing's always been hard for me too. It, I'm not yeah, gonna lie, it, and it is. I mean, I I don't I don't understand it either. Really, it's but, just hard to grasp. I don't give yeah. a shit. Like I'm not yeah. one of those people. It's like I'm not like some of the the people, even the people who follow me, who are like who are like. You're just feeding into their mental disorder. I don't give a shit, man. We yeah. feed into everyone's <laughs> mental disorders every day. It's how it's welcome to America. You know, I know. what I mean? <laughs> so let's switch gears because uh, we've only got, I guess, a few minutes left. But uh, first of all, what is your definition of shit posting? Oh, man. Uh, there's so many different definitions. I know. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, shit posting to me is um, one saying things sometimes maybe you don't believe in uh, just to get a reaction. Um, sometimes there's shit posting like neocon remover where it's like just hilarious words put together. Like, I don't know if you follow neocon remover or Burt Graham. He's yeah. I mean, he just like, will make these posts that are like Coca-Cola beat Hillary Clinton in a race, a two way race for who gets the biggest wiener competition or, you know what I mean? Like just random ass posts like that. And you're like, what the fuck? That's hilarious. You know? Uh, and it's, it's meant to be funny. It's meant to many times be offensive. Um, and get a rise out of people. I mean, it really is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of trolling. I've, I've been very open with the fact that I've trolled people into liberty several times. So, mm. and, and shit postings, just one of those trolls. 
So that was that was going to be my next question. Like, what's the what's the strategy there? How does that work? So, believe it or not, before I ever ran for chair, uh, when I first was getting involved with the Libertarian Party for the second time in 2016, um, we had a crew of people uh, in a secret group on Facebook called the Libertarian Troll Mercenaries. <laughs> and a lot of these trolls that you see today uh, started there. Um, right. A lot of the people who were involved in Think Liberty started there. Uh, great people, great people like Chris Oglesby and Vinnie Marshall, and who's uh, been one of my best friends since I, we were in grade school almost. Um, just great people who, who do this stuff now still to this day. Um, and this was during uh, Hillary versus Trump. And we would go into these Hillary versus Trump or Hillary and Trump Facebook groups. Um, and sometimes with sock accounts, I always, I have always, I want, I want everyone to know that I have always shit posted from my personal account <laughs> because I am a G like that. I don't care. Uh, and we would do crazy shit in these groups. Like this was back when you could make a post and, uh, we'd make a post in the group, like, uh, drop a, drop a one in the, uh, in the comments. If you're, uh, if you believe America's a, a, a Christian nation or whatever, you know, in, in like the Trump groups, or if you if you believe the you should have your ass stomped for burning the flag, and then they just start dropping all these ones or hell yeah, we'd tell them to say hell yeah, and there'd be all these hell yeahs, and then we'd switch it up to be like, uh, you know, if you if you think transgender uh, bathrooms are a good thing, or you know, just stupid shit like that, and it would piss people off to the max, and they'd start screaching at us, you know, this is why ah, this is what it said earlier, and they'd be like, you know a thousand hell yeahs <laughs> in the comments and they'd be like it'd be, if you're cool with guys using the, the women's bathroom or something you know what I mean just dumb mm -hmm. shit and then they, we'd get into these conversations with people and I'd be like you know have you have you guys ever heard about you know Murray Rothbard have you ever heard about this and we would literally start getting people on our side it was all the time like that's literally what we did that was our like when we weren't working or with our girlfriends or whatever like that and, and I know girlfriends and shit posters doesn't really mix but it, there are a few of us. You <laughs> At know, least you're in a basement right now. So yeah, there, significant. Yeah, I am. Yeah, but this is my goddamn basement that I pay for. Okay, just for all the haters out there, yeah. this is my basement that I pay for, sole provider. And so it, it really became like this thing where we we were kind of starting this movement by trolling people and shit posting in these groups, and it it bled out. I mean, all over the place. And it it, it really even before the troll mercenaries, it started in the Gary Johnson uh, 2016 page. There was like a, a Facebook group that had a hundred thousand people in it or something. Jesus. Yeah, and it it was like a group of us from there that started it. We used to do it in the Gary Johnson page, and then we bled out. Then now people are all over Twitter and fucking Parler and, and Facebook. And, you know, I'm sure some of these weirdos are on MySpace because they're kicked off of everything else. And it really, it really became like a movement and people, there was like a camaraderie there. Right. And so like we were getting people who were coming over from the left. We were getting people who were coming over from fascists. We were getting people who were coming from uh, social conservatives, just all kinds of different people coming together. And the movement started turning into this libertarian camaraderie, you know? And some of those people to this day are hardcore. I know people who are working inside the libertarian party that came from the left. I know people who are working inside uh, the anarchist movement right now that came from the Republican party, mm -hmm. you know? And it was all because of this trolling shit posting that we were doing. And so um, when I say that, you know, on like my opening for the after hour streams uh, or in my promo for the, for the show, Break the Cycle, um, I mean that like, like I have, I have created so many libertarians by trolling them that it's, it's just wild. It's wild to me to even think about. 
What do you think about the the big conflicts right now between um, like the Agorists, the LP, Mises Caucus people, the Thobishop Bishop people, and maybe like the the quote post libertarians? I think it's fucking great. To be yeah. honest with you, I, yeah. I know a lot, I know a lot of people are like really upset, except for Vin Armani. I can't stand that guy. What a condescending prick! Uh, but but uh, like all of them, I mean, they're all great in their own way. And I've talked about libertarianism being a, a several headed beast. It's not just the party. I mean, the party is a very small, small portion of this this much broader, larger movement. And uh, if you want to talk about all the heads, there's agorism. That's an important, that's an important aspect of libertarianism. Opting out of the fucking system and telling them to suck your dick is an important thing. You know what I mean? And I mean that. I'm sorry if, if kids listen to your podcast. And I apologize. Uh, it's an important aspect of libertarianism because we have to be defiant to politics at some point or politicians at least, or their bad laws. And, you know, we have to tell them to, to get fucked. And so agorism is one way to do that. Bitcoin is another another head for me. I think I think crypto, the crypto movement, especially Bitcoin, should always be the biggest part of your portfolio. Uh, is is going to, and that's not financial advice. SEC, kiss my ass. <laughs> um, you know, that's another way to say, hey, we're now dealing in a decentralized currency that circumvents the federal government, and we're not going to deal with you anymore. We don't need your fiat notes. Keep printing them all you want. This is worthless as monopoly money to me. That's an important step. Another important step can be using the political process to, to take them down from the inside. And I think the Libertarian Party is becoming a vehicle for that. I, don't, I, don't, I think it took 51 years or 50 years for us to start getting there. But I think we are now legitimately becoming, because of people like Dave Smith and Tom Woods and the Mises Caucus and all these great activists, we're now becoming a political force to, to reckon with. I think mm-hmm. in the, in, you know, it's not going to be a year. It's not going to be five years. It's probably going to be 10 years. I have a 10-year plan. The Libertarian Party is going to be a major party in this country. Uh, Republicans and Democrats are going to start having their seats threatened. No more will they feel comfortable in Congress for, you know, six decades or whatever. Uh, they're going to say, hey, those Libertarians, man, they got a lot of support now. Um, and we have to start governing like we uh, like we campaign. Or we're going to lose our seats to this, this yellow uh, menace. And so um, I think that's another important tool in the toolbox. I've talked about I've I've talked about it that way a lot. You know, I think if you're a mechanic and you have a really bad problem, and you have three tools that can solve the problem, and you use two of them, the problem's not solved. But if you use the third one, maybe together, you know, like Captain America or Captain Planet, you know, with our powers combined, uh, we can get this thing done. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I reckon as a mechanic, you probably want to use every tool in the toolbox to get the problem fixed. And I just see them all as different tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the arguments are good because it's, it's really refining the ideas. You know, that's what arguments are. At the end of the day, a debate is refining the ideas. It's, a, it's the marketplace of ideas. And uh, maybe we come to rest on agorism is the only way to move the shit forward. Maybe we all come to rest on, hey, all three of these things are great tools, but it's stupid to not use all the tools at your disposal. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as long as you're telling, not telling me don't use any of the tools, I'm good with it. Um, I think though, I think though Bishop libertarianism is probably going to be very helpful when it comes to getting more liberty Republicans elected. I love yeah. it. I well, think, and especially uh, in, especially in, in red states and red areas. Sure. I mean, I love, I love though, man. Though gets a bad rap from some libertarians. Though is, is probably one of my favorite people in the movement, even though he tells me to leave the libertarian party all the time, you know, <laughs> He's like, you're going to do a lot better over here with us with the Republicans. Yeah, probably, bud, but I got, I got, a, I got a goal here, you know. And as long as I think that it's a valuable goal for me, I'm going to keep doing it. 
Um, I, I love, uh, you know, I love agorists and people who are turning, even some of the, the really black pilled people. I think they're great, you know, and, and, uh, uh, like Larkin Rose. I had a, I had a two and a half hour debate with Larkin Rose on anarchic anarchist during anarchopoco. And, uh, you know, it was, it was almost hard to debate with him because I agree with everything he's saying. What was the debate? That's awesome. Libertarian party versus, uh, oh. versus anarchism. You know sure. what I mean? Um, opt out of anarchism basically. And, uh, the utility of it. And um, I think I won the debate. Most people told me I won the debate. I made a really good case for why it's okay to work inside the political system. Is that on YouTube um, or anything? I love Larkin. Yeah, it's on, it's on Anarchcast. It was uh, it was hosted by by uh, Patrick Smith, good friend of mine who runs Anarchcast and, and Disenthrall Media, one of the greatest dudes I know in this world. All right, cool. It's on BitChute. I found it. I'll, I'll put the link in the, yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, it was a good debate. Um, and, and you know, I was drinking whiskey during it, but a, a lot of people <laughs> did tell me that uh, that they think I won even anar- even uh, anarchists and, uh, and, and agorists alike, like uh, mm-hmm. Jose Gaisson, uh, Galson. He, he told me you won that debate, even though he likes Larkin Rose more when it comes to ideas. He's like, you definitely won the debate. Uh, I kind of painted, I kind of, I kind of worked really hard for about an hour to paint Larkin Rose into a corner that I just don't, I think he really, I think he got a little hypocritical when he was trying to make the argument. Um, you can, you guys can judge for yourself and watch the debate. It was a great debate. I mean, it was very respectful. I lo- I love Larkin, you know, don't get me wrong. Candles and Dark's a great thing. He's going around the the country, turning people into libertarians and yeah. teaching them how to opt out of the system. And uh, The Most Dangerous Superstition is a great book. You know, uh, you should read it. He's got the he's got the Jones Plantation coming out on. Yeah, I'm really excited for that too. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Larkin. I am, and I'm a big fan of those guys. I think everybody's got their part to play, and uh, you know, when it comes to fighting for liberty, we're such a minority. And uh, you know, Jeremy Kaufman uh, from from uh, Odyssey will will <laughs> yeah, say that man. libertarians are the are the biggest minority in this country because we're the furthest away from the society that we want. And it's like, you know, that's very jarring for people to hear. I mean, oh, you mean Jerry, Jeremy Kaufman says jarring things? <laughs> it's very surprise, jarring surprise. to hear. You know, when I found out that the that the person doing the LPNH stuff, Twitter stuff was someone named Jeremy Kaufman, I was like, that can't be the same Jeremy Kaufman as the library guy. You're damn but, right it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was that, just like, that, yes! I love man, it! That, that fucked me up. And, like, I am, I am such a huge fan of his now. Like, I, the, oh, he's so cool. Like I run the I run the LP Minnesota Twitter, um, yeah. which uh, I, I don't know if that's a secret or not. It's anonymous, but I've come out with it. Well, that's why your that's why your Twitter is getting so much more base now. That's yeah, good. yeah, yeah. But like I God, I couldn't imagine some doing some of the stuff that he said. That that was a uh, yeah the the Guantanamo Bay thing. I mean, we had a whole twenty minute conversation yeah. about it on the LNC at our LNC meeting in Chicago. I mean, it was started out the LNC meeting that way. We had elected officials coming in all pissed off, and it's like. It's like, dude, it was Sasha Cohen, who's like the, on a city council of some podunk, podunk town in Illinois. Right. And he's like, that was an elected official. I'm like, your constituency's five people, dude. Shut and he, up. And, and he, he ran against a write-in candidate. He didn't even have like, a, like another person on the ballot. Yeah, he was basically uncontested. Uh, there's like five constituents. He, uh, he, he came from the Yang campaign to the Vermin Supreme campaign. It wasn't like... Let's be honest. It wasn't like he invested a lot of time in the Libertarian Party or anything. And uh, and he's in there bitching. My constituents are asking me about this. No, they're fucking not. No, they're not. No, no podunk town in Illinois knows about the New Hampshire Libertarian <laughs> Party. Fucking shut up. You're lying your ass off, dude. 
Um, and uh, he got really pissed off at me on on one of my shows when I had when I had Jeremy Kaufman and he popped into the chat and was talking shit. And I was like, dude, I was I was like, I just saw you a week and a half ago in Chicago and you wouldn't even look me in the eyes. Now you're talking shit in my chat on a show. What a what a bitch made move. <laughs> don't uh, don't sugarcoat, Josh. Oh, I don't, buddy. <laughs> Everyone knows. Do you, do you do you feel like people underestimate you because you don't sugarcoat? Underestimate me? Yeah. Do you think you're under underestimated either? Um, potentially or intellectually or in any other way? I think intellectually people really underestimate me. I think people, I get this, uh, you know, you're like a, you're like a jock. What do they call me? Frat bro. Like you're really stupid. You're like a big dumb meathead. And I'm like, I'm like, motherfucker, I have read every philosophy book you could name. I've read Immanuel Kant. I have read Rothbard. I have read Bookchin. I have read, I mean, any political philosophy, Marx, Lenin, Engels. I've read all the shit that I hate. I've read. Like, I know more than you. Fuck you. No, but it's true. It's true. Cause so like, so like I'm from the hood, man. Like I'm yeah. from, I'm from Oakland. You know what I mean? Oakland, California. I'm from the hood. Like I'm legit from the projects. And so, um, I, I do kind of have that urban spirit, if you want to call it that, you know, I, when I first started running for chair in 2018, I, um, I had to start going to Toastmasters and shit. I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to speak. You know, I called everyone dude and bro. And I said, hella. <laughs> and like, I was, I was legitimately worried. I was going to go and give a speech and be like, listen, bros. You know what I mean? My nickname in high school was dude, bro. Oh my God. That was literally my nickname <laughs> in high school because I'd walk up to people and be like, I was so fucking high in high school all the time. Right. I was really, I was like big stoner skateboarder, but I was also a jock. Like I wrestled and played football, but I'd walk up to people. And I'd be so stoned at like lunch, you know, off campus lunch. And I'd be like, Dude, bro, man, bro, dude, bro. You don't even know, bro. And then I tell you what I had to say. And so my nickname became Dude, Bro. And, it, and it, so I get that there's like this aesthetic that I'm not smart, but you're, yeah, you're really underestimating me if you think that I'm not smart. Uh, as as proof of on the new Fakertarians podcast where I literally dunked on everybody repeatedly, even though sometimes I was, you know, obviously a little frat bro about it. Uh, I mean, I, I knew the definition of populism, I, I don't know if you watched that part, but I did. Jer Jeremy K is like, well, populism is when you do this and this and this. And I was like, read the third one, read the third line. And he did. And I was like, yeah, that's what I've been saying the whole time. Uh, and it's true. You know, I, I do research this shit. It's not like I'm just going to go out and say it, but I think a lot of people in this party and this movement underestimate what these hands can do. I think that's what I really get underestimated for. Don't go threatening people, Josh. I just, I'm just saying, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, it was all these people talk shit to me before my 2018 campaign online. And then I showed up to the national convention and I saw a lot of shaking hands when I walked up to people, you know what I mean? Like mm. legitimately like hands shaking, like tremors. And it's because first of all, they didn't realize how big I am. I'm not a little dude. I'm six foot two, 240 pounds. Uh, second of all, I, you know, I, I did MMA for 10 years. I wrestled for 14 years. Like that was, I'm not. I'm not the bitch you think I am, bud. So, uh, yeah, I think I think I probably pretty heavily underestimated by, uh, you know, these kind of people that think they're smarter than they are, um, and these kind of people that really think they're tougher than they are because they've never left the internet. So, yeah, and they're a bunch of weenie tarians. That's a that's a yeah. that's a term I'm going to start coining. Well, and, right. and I think the best I think the best phrase to sum all that up is, uh, and and it came directly from uh, God King Michael Heiss. He, he said, I, I think I may fuck this up. I might be paraphrasing. I don't know. But he said, uh, 
We are literally up against people who will napalm your children for resources. We don't need people who are offended by memes. We need soldiers. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I mean, and that, that will ring true for so long uh, because we are. We're up against people who have killed hundreds and thousands of people for bullshit. So... All right, let's leave it there. So uh, I'm now supporting you in two places financially, Patreon and YouTube. Uh, and I think that it's well worth it. I mean, you're raising seven kids. You're doing great work for this movement. Um, and I want you to be able to do it full time eventually. So uh, I really appreciate that, man. Uh, I, you know, <clears throat> it's probably going to take a lot for me to do it full time. But we are, I mean, the show has has pretty much doubled every month. Yeah. And so that's really, really big for me. Um, the, 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 the only goal at first was we wanted to make enough for Julia to stay home because we have seven kids and I work full time, you know, I work 12 hour shifts and it's really hard to leave all these kids just, you know, they need someone here. Um, and we've hit that initial goal. You know, I have enough supporters now where, uh, Julia is able to stay home. We've made up that lost income and, uh, that, I mean, that alone just means the fucking world to us, you know, um, that I'm able to do the show and, and, uh, and help pay for our, our life and these kids and, and give some kids that really needed a good home, a really good home. So, um, but yeah, man, I can't tell you how much it means to us. And I, I really appreciate you supporting like that. And, you know, I understand if you can't always support in two places, dude, that's a, that's a big commitment. I really, well, I, really I feel like it's worth it. I think, and I, you know, I mean, audience, I, I appreciate all of my paid subscribers, but, uh, Josh is a real hero. I'm sitting here at a computer. So I'll definitely link to your Patreon. Is there anything else you want me to, you want to plug? Uh, well, definitely just follow, you know, subscribe to the YouTube, man. Cause, cause even if you can't support financially, uh, subscribing to the YouTube kicks up the algorithm, which gets us more views, which gets us more people who will support the show, uh, financially. So, um, you know, the youtube.com backslash fight the despots, uh, is, is the YouTube channel. And, uh, man, I just, it really means a lot when we have a lot of people in the chats. Uh, I do shows five nights a week now, Monday through Friday. Uh, we've had some really great guests on Dave, Dave Smith, Tom Woods, Scott Horton twice. I uh, had Ron Coleman on tonight. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't even know him. Yeah, he's big time, big time uh, a lawyer. He's actually, uh, he's the one that's representing Project Veritas and James mm-hmm. Keefe right now. Um, you know, conservative guy, probably supported Trump, all that stuff. But I mean, he, you know, he's fighting for the right things. I don't agree with his his stuff on trademark laws and all that shit that he was his trademark attorney for a long time. Uh, but I've had Stefan Nick Kinsella on and, and, you know, I have some smaller names on too, like uh, Davey Parrish from the Burning Boots, uh, used to be Burning Boots Friendship Simulator now. Uh, obviously, we just did that special show on Saturday with, uh, with King, based King Nick, uh, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> we slammed, I'm looking at, I still got these three beer bottles because I slammed three Coronas during that, that show with him. I don't drink very often, but I was like, I got a fucking drink on this show with him. Um, that yeah. was fun. So, uh, yeah, doing a lot of shows, man. Uh, just, you know, at least five nights a week. We're booking up. August is booking up really fast. July Sweet. is completely booked up. So follow the show. Uh, of course, the podcast is in audio version on like all the podcast apps. Uh, please, if you also have an Odyssey, follow me there because eventually that's probably where I'm going to be streaming from when YouTube gets has had enough of me. Uh, Ron Coleman dropped the, uh, dropped the gamer word on my show tonight. So I got to go try to bleep that out what's the gamer word the n-word oh did he really yeah he he did it like a like an intellectual way yeah uh he was he was talking about how trademark laws um you know they they won't trademark uh offensive 
yeah. ethnic slurs. I, I got it. I got yeah. it. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, but it's really only because they don't want to trademark the the word. And I'm like, whoa, he said it. Oh no! <laughs> Is that why? Uh, that's why. That's why the Papa John CEO got got let go by their board, right? He was like, in his in his uh, diversity training like uttered the uttered the word as like a word that you don't say at work yeah like intellectually yeah, yeah. it wasn't even like a yeah it was like a yeah it didn't he didn't do it because he <sighs> hated him but yeah it's crazy so i gotta i gotta go like skim through that and try and bleep that <laughs> out now like thanks ron uh but uh yeah he's he, he, the, actually the after hour stream that i did right right before i got in here you should check that out that was fun because in the after hour stream we can basically talk about whatever we want because members only and youtube doesn't really moderate it as much mm. Um, and he talked about election fraud, man. There's a lot of crazy oh, shit going nice. on in this country right now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah Monica Perez has been really uh, covering I that too. I love her. Love yeah, She's her. so great. Yeah, she's been on my show too. She was fun. Yeah, mine too. Uh, we had cool. a lot of the same guests actually. All right, cool. Well, we're going to be doing the Tower Power Hour podcast tomorrow, thing tomorrow, tomorrow night together too. Uh, so that will be actually a couple of days yeah, ago you're, when, by the time you're listening. You're audience. a brave You're a brave gay, James. I love Dude, you to I have I was on that show with <laughs> Magnus Panvidia and I was sick and it was like a thousand degrees in my office. And I feel like I just need to redeem myself because it was a terrible uh performance. Yeah. And well, so, I'm just I'm just you're brave, man, because they don't they don't hold shit back there, man. Yeah, they don't. I, I love it. It's so great. I, I love those guys, man. Yeah, right, I, cool. I oh wait, one one more thing. Yeah, I honey I honey potted Tower Power Hour into becoming a podcast, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, I told him I was going to do. I told him I was going to do the show with him, and then I didn't go on a show until episode sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, yes, because I'm I'm part of the Tower Gang, right? And I was yeah. in the Tower Gang chats and stuff. I was like, yeah, dude, we should totally start like a Legion of Skank style with like just all the shit posters and do like a podcast and call it Tower Power Hour. And yeah, that's cool. I'll do it all the time. And then every night they're like, hey, can you do the show tonight? I'm like, no, nah, man, I, I'm super busy with my show and shit. I'm really sorry. I'll do the next one, I promise. And then finally, episode 16, I came up. <laughs> now, now Jose's doing that to him. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Well, All right, uh, I'll, I'll link to everything. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. See you later. All right. Thanks again to Josh for joining me tonight. Thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know that it was a little bit more heavy on the libertarian stuff than I like to get. But, you know, every so often I like to let my hair down and just kind of have a chat with a friend. So if you did like it, great. If you didn't like it, well, stay tuned for the next one because we're going to be talking to Matt Erickson and the return, once again, of LB Muniz, all about entrepreneurship and getting ahead in the world with or without politics. Don't forget to go to Liberty Classroom using my link, blackbirdpodcast.com slash classroom. While you're at it, go to blackbirdpodcast.com to subscribe to the show, either for free or with one of the paid subscription options. And if you have a few minutes free, head to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. Every single one of those helps boost the algorithm so that more and more people find this podcast. And until the next episode of Blackbird, live free. Blackbird.